sound booth lady. All right, so Lord, we thank you for tonight. We bless you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as I go to speak this, I pray for everyone that's going to be hearing this. Lord, we ask you tonight that your precious Holy Spirit just move upon every one of us right now and give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, that our minds will be able to get locked in and focused to not be distracted. Our hearts will be in tune. That your Holy Spirit touch our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear maybe what we couldn't before, but we have eyes and ears of the Spirit that are anointed. And Lord, we ask you, as Paul prayed, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts with understanding. But Lord, tonight, as your Holy Spirit moves upon us, I pray everyone will be good soil. Let your word go out of my mouth. Everything that needs to be said, like living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, let there be the washing of the water of the word. Lord, let your word be like a hammer that breaks through the strongholds, a sword that penetrates. And Lord, I thank you for the word of God. The winds of your spirit carry this out among the nations. And as everybody's in agreement with this, Lord, we thank you for this getting where it's supposed to be, accomplishing what it's supposed to do. And, Lord, we take authority and bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder, distract, oppress, or in any way resist us. We commit to be bound and back off right now in Jesus' name. But, Lord, let this go out and accomplish what you sent it for to do. And we stand on the promise that the Bible says your word will not return void. But it will accomplish that which you sent it for to do. So, Lord, let it go forth under a mighty anointing. And let it be backed up by the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, let your angels clear away the hindrances. So it will go out among the nations. Let the winds of your spirit carry it out where it needs to go. We thank you for it and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. One of the things you can feel really resisting it, like a religious spirit in our region. And trying to suppress worship, distractions, just different things. So anyway, tonight, give me your best ear, your focus, little moving around as possible. Help me with this. I don't have notes. But this is a pretty simple concept, what I'm talking about tonight. But I really want, I really felt, um, felt the Holy Spirit wanted to convey this to everybody. So we're talking about a series, Surviving and Thriving in the Last Days. And what the Lord spoke to me was make much about the blood. And so I'm going to deal with that this week and possibly next week. But I make much about the blood of Jesus, okay? So in the Azusa Street Revival, that was something that came as a revelation from the Lord to them. And the Lord told them to make much about the blood, okay? So that's where we're coming from tonight. And I want to talk about some things that have to do with the blood, but has to do with the altar of God. And I think some of this you've probably never heard before. But some of it you have. And so let me start with some things that are common to us. Most of us come from bloodlines that have ungodliness in the bloodlines. Most of us have that. And in the bloodlines, if you go back in your ancestry, you see that there have been idols that have been worshipped. There are altars that at those altars, people went to these altars to other gods and in these particular altars, there were maybe prayers that were prayed. There were covenants that were made and entered into. There were dedications sometimes to other gods. And this has affected bloodlines, okay? But I want you to notice that there's idols and there's altars that people go to. And because of that, there are covenants and dedications that are made. And we're all familiar with sins that, that form iniquity in bloodlines and travel down family bloodlines. And these sins, they turn into iniquity and they go down family bloodlines passing from generation to generation. There's a curse connected to these. It gives legal permission to the demonic realm. And as people continue in the sins of their ancestry, it passes on. What's that noise back there? And so as it's passing down from generation to generation, 
it forms like a curse and it's going down the bloodline and there's things that are affecting people that they don't understand why it's there or where it's coming from but things that form this have to do with like occult practices and family bloodlines the worship of other gods sexual sins that have been in family bloodlines the shedding of blood breaking covenants and i know that you guys are probably familiar with this but also there's there's a really good book that i've mentioned before called redeeming your bloodline and the last name of the author is Sirovina, and he worked together with henderson and brought this book together it's a very powerful book has some good prayers to pray but a couple things that he dealt with one was that there are seed covenants that are sexual that are down family bloodlines there are also meal covenants i want you to notice meal covenants this has to do with an altar and people eating of an altar that's why i've told people many times that there are certain things that you need to just stay far away from okay there's certain holidays and things that you don't need to participating in my wife and i talk about things like halloween etc but there are altars that you don't need to be eating at okay also the salt covenant and that has to do with priestly and the scriptures associated with that are in the book but in the salt covenant numbers 18 19 in the meal covenant it has to do with exodus 24 9 through 11 and then the sexual deuteronomy 23 verse 2 but all these things can form covenants and they form uh you can be in a positive aspect which is what i'm coming to here in a moment but when it's directed in the wrong way the altars of other gods it really affects the generations and these things need to be prayed about and renounced which of course in that book they do an excellent job of um, bringing that to your attention and then giving you the prayers to pray to break free but i want you to see though that again let me say it there are idols there are altars that people come to and it alters there are covenants that are made there are dedications to gods and these affect people long term it affects their family bloodline now with that understand understanding i want to talk about the power of covenant now in america i've preached on this before but in america a lot of times people do not understand covenant at all and used to i think that our culture understood at least the marriage covenant but i would say now that that is no longer there at all that people just live together and they don't honor god they don't honor the marriage covenant they don't honor marriage in general so in our culture people don't understand covenant anymore by and large and so instead of covenants the only thing that we have that would be remotely similar would be like a contract and this would be like a financial institution would draw papers you sign them and now you're obligated legally to what is in that contract that you sign but again that's just a contract it's not a covenant so let me explain just briefly again though we've talked about this before about covenant now remember the premise with other gods there are idols and there are altars altars have to do with making covenants so in the middle east there was a great understanding about covenants and so what would happen is if somebody felt that they needed to enter into a covenant with another individual they first had to count the cost because it was a great cost when you and understanding now that these people understood covenant in america people don't so this is a foreign concept i'm trying to really present here they knew that once they entered into a covenant with another person that it would involve blood and it would be for the rest of their life and so they understood when they entered into a covenant that they did not do it lightly that to enter into a covenant they had to really count the cost because if that person or their family was ever in a situation where maybe he got injured you were under an obligation because you're in a covenant with them that you were going to send help their way whether it was financial or maybe you would send your family to work their farms or something you would you would obligate yourself to take care of them if enemies came and enemies were going to attack their family you and all of your family and all of your workers would have you've obligated yourself that you would go there and you would fight with them 
the same as if they were blood relatives. See, the covenant was a deep thing, and people knew they better count the cost because it also did not have an ending to it. It was lifelong. And we know that God is a God of covenant. So as I talk about this tonight, remember the premise I started with about altars and covenants because I'm going somewhere with this. Number one, you count the cost. Number two, there had to be a covenant exchange. In the Bible, when people made a covenant, they would give something of theirs to the individual, maybe something that represented them or had to do with their identity in some way they would give that to them and the other individual would give them something in like manner and so you saw this in the bible with david and jonathan because david was kingly and he gave what he had i mean jonathan was rather and david was of the shepherd and he gave but anyway there was an exchange of something that spoke of who they were and there had to be that exchange, okay? Also, this involved, it was always referred to as cutting a covenant because there had to be bloodshed. And so what they would do if they entered into a covenant, first they counted the cost, second, they would exchange items. This is something that represents who I am something that looks like me something that has to do with my identity my family whatever i'm giving this to you it's something that's valuable to me but i'm giving it to you and they would do the same and then they would take an animal and they would kill the animal and in these ancient covenants they actually would cut them in half and separate them and the blood of those animals was on the ground it was in the soil and the message there was may it be done to me like this animal if i don't fulfill my end of this covenant that was the understood message here by everybody involved and they would walk in between the pieces of the covenant through bloody soil and do like a figure eight and they would walk in between them and this was the blood of the covenant that they entered into as they walked among those bloody pieces there also, there also was, in this ancient culture, a sign of a covenant where the people involved, two men, let's say, and they would take a knife and they would cut their hand and they would put something like a ash from a fire, they would rub that in there, and it would create a scar and a mark on their hand. And that's why, in the Middle East, you would see that they would lift their hand when they came to places they say something like peace be under you under you but they would lift their hand because you would see if they were in covenant with other people and they wanted they wanted you to know if they were so in other words what they were saying when they lifted their hand and you could see the sign of a covenant there they were saying i'm not alone if you mess with me there's other people that's got my back so there was a covenant sign and then finally, at the end of this ceremony, there was always a covenant meal. And this was important. This meal, the two parties would sit down now, and they would eat a meal together, and this meal was to seal the deal. And after the meal was eaten, and they parted ways, they had entered into a blood covenant that was for the rest of their lives. And we can see that God is a God of covenant, and God, the Bible says that Jesus, that he, he obviously counted the cost, but for the joy set before him, okay, he endured the cross. So God, first off, entered into a blood covenant with the human race, those that would accept Christ. But God initiated this covenant, and the cost was counted. Jesus had to carry this out as God in the flesh, but he had to count the cost as to what he was going to do that he was going to go all the way through with this so number one he counted the cost number two there was a covenant exchange and we know that that jesus gave of his life and we give him our lives and here's the interesting thing about this though in the covenant relationship even 
because we are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, there's something about our tithes and offerings that we give to him. See, I'll come back to that later, but just remember that when Abraham appeared before Melchizedek, they ate of the bread and the fruit of the vine together. They, Abraham understood covenant, and Melchizedek blessed him, but Abraham gave tithes to him. He understood that there was an exchange here. Also, there was the cutting of the covenant. When Jesus came, obviously, his blood was shed. He was the offering, and he was what was to be cut and the blood shed for us to be able to enter into a blood covenant with God. But I want you to understand the way God views blood covenant. God views a covenant the way I'm explaining it to you, that it is a lifelong commitment. And see, it's interesting because our enemies now become God's enemies. But isn't it interesting that before people accept the Lord, the devil leaves them alone. But once you accept the Lord, now his enemy becomes your enemy. You see, it's a covenant. The devil understands covenant. God understands covenant. I wish that our culture in America really understood covenant. So Jesus was the offering, and there was a covenantal sign. Isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, the Bible says that, that he has us uh, engraved in the palm of his hand, but the, later on we would see as Christ came that there is an actual mark in his hand from the cross as the sign of the covenant. And finally, when Jesus was here, he gave to the church Jew and Gentile he gave the covenant meal which we know as communion so I want you to think about something as, as I'm closing this out actually it's a short sermon but I really want to bring these last couple points home that it, it really stay with you so this year after we get through the Purim season and we, you know we celebrate the the victory God gave through Esther, we're going to have, so follow me with this. I know you guys are familiar with this, but there are people hearing this that may need to hear this. But as a church, corporately, we go into twice a year, 14 days of prayer and fasting. Whatever God lays on your heart to give up, okay, food-related, whatever it is that you feel to lay down during that time. So those 14 days, we're going to agree together. But the goal of the fast is that we humble ourselves before him, in prayer, fasting, giving, and consecrating our lives unto him. Isaiah 58, Joel chapter 2, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. You put it all together, there's a pattern there, okay? As we humble ourselves. And as we do this, at the end of it, on the 21st this year, we're going to have a deep consecration service. So we're going to come together, take communion together in a special way, come under the blood. My wife and I will anoint you with oil asking God to really consecrate your life and empower you. And, of course, we'll have water immersion after service for those that want to come. And I know pretty much most people come and just want to consecrate their lives every time we do this. That's awesome. And I've been watching people go deeper in Christ every, every year that we do this. But I want to show you something here. After we consecrate ourselves, we're going to go into a season of Passover. During this season of Passover, I want you to think about something. This year is the first year that I'm, I'm trying to begin to introduce this out, outside the church and encourage people to begin to do this at home. We will have a corporate meal together on that Saturday, but on Tuesday night, the night of Passover, we're going to cancel prayer here, and I want you guys to stay home and have something between you and your family. And I want to show you something. I started this thing about altars, and I want to show you something here. So Passover, at this time, as you have a Passover meal and in your house together as a family, if you follow the pattern of a Passover meal, there are always candles that are lit. I want you to follow my line of thinking here, okay? There's always candles that are lit at the beginning and a blessing spoken to the Lord. And I want you to think about the tabernacle for a moment. 
In Hebrews chapter 8, let me read this. It says, now the main point is what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. A minister, listen to this, in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. It's been pitched, but not by man, it says. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve, look at this, a copy and shadow of heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God, make sure that you erect this tabernacle and that you make all things according to the pattern. So this was something that God gave Moses. So follow my line of thinking because we're talking about altars. This was something God gave Moses by revelation through angels and showed him actually heaven's tabernacle. And he told Moses, you make sure that you replicate what I'm showing you on the earth exactly as I'm showing it to you. So think about it for a moment. Something in heaven, I want you just to envision this with me for a moment. There is some kind of a mountain of God in heaven ascending the hill of the Lord. There's something there that people, that angels and, and those that have died and gone on before us in Christ, that they ascend the hill of the Lord. And at the top of that, there is some kind of a heavenly tabernacle. And in the holy of holies of that tabernacle in heaven is God's throne. Now, at that tabernacle, what you have to understand is there is some kind of an outer court there. And then the outer court, God told Moses, replicate what you've been shown. There is some kind of a bronze altar. On the earth, the altar, the bronze altar was where all the animals were offered and blood was shed year after year. In heaven, I believe that that bronze altar is where Jesus applied his blood. But nonetheless, this is an altar unto God. So let me show you something. When Abraham was on the earth, God visited him and told Abraham, he said, I want you to leave the earth of the Chaldees. And I want you to go to a land that I'm showing you. And Abraham went by faith and he lived by revelation. And the Lord spoke to Abraham. And as he traveled in his journeys from place to place, God would reveal something about himself to Abraham. And Abraham would build an altar there. And he would inscribe something that God showed him. Maybe in you know, one revelation we're all familiar with, God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh to Abraham, the one who provides. Abraham builds an altar, and you can just see that he would inscribe something like unto Jehovah Jireh. The provider and so Abraham would get this revelation he would build an altar and Abraham understood covenant he understood that he had entered into a covenant with the Almighty and he would offer the animals there and their blood was applied and this was a place of worship it was a place where Abraham was renewing hear what I'm saying instead of there being an idol Abraham was worshiping the true God. This was an altar to the true God. This is where covenant was made to the true God and renewed to him. This was where him and his family had been dedicated to the true God. Are you understanding what I'm, where I'm going with this? And so Abraham in his journeys, he was by faith, he was making altars. But you have to understand, he was doing something on the earth but yet, it was connecting to a tabernacle and an altar that was in heaven. So, by faith, Abraham was doing something on the earth, but he was connecting to the altar that was before God in heaven. I believe that Adam made an altar, and I believe that God revealed to Adam and Eve as he clothed them in animal skins that there had to be, the only forgiveness of sin would come through the shedding of blood. And so they, they would offer up offerings unto God on an altar. Later we read that Noah did that. 
We also read the, the story of Job, which Job is a very ancient story in the Bible for those that don't know. And Job would do that. He had an altar where he offered animals on a regular basis. And that blood, he brought him and his entire family under the blood. And he worshiped the one true God. And the power of what Job was doing, Satan himself had to acknowledge before God that Job and his whole family had a hedge of protection around them because of the blood of the covenant. And so down through the ages, there were these altars. David understood it. And David offered up on an altar. Samuel understood it. Of course, when Moses came, okay, after Abraham, 400 years or so, Moses brought him out of Israel, and, or out of Egypt, rather, and he brought the nation of Israel before the Lord at Sinai. And what did Moses do? He had an altar built at Sinai. Animals were killed. He, took, he read of the law what was revealed up to that point he sprinkled some of the blood on the people and he said behold the blood of the covenant you're entering into a covenant are y'all following me there was an altar moses officiated he sprinkled the blood over the people the people came into a covenant relationship with god before an altar i believe even though that altar was on the earth it was connected somehow to the altar before god in heaven and then, you know, Moses had to initiate Aaron and the priesthood. And God wanted them to oversee it so it didn't get weird. He wanted them to oversee people bringing their offerings a prescribed way before God because God knew that if they just started doing it on their own everywhere, it would get bizarre, which it did anyway. But the, they were supposed to bring it to the sons of Aaron and they were supposed to offer it a prescribed way. So just for a moment... Just follow this line of thinking. So people would come, and let's say that there were five major offerings, the sin and the guilt offering. Let's say that somebody had, had committed some kind of a sin before God. This was under the law of Moses. They would come, and they would bring their offering before the Lord. And as they came there, the sons of Aaron, a priest that was there, would officiate this. He would take the animal. The blood had to be sprinkled. You know, the interesting thing is they would put the blood in a bowl and they would turn on behalf of the person. They would sprinkle the blood toward the tent. And it was making a way for them to be able, for their prayers to get answered again. Isn't that interesting? But they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the bronze altar and, and pour it out. And they'd, you know, splash it on the sides of the altar. And the priest would eat of some of this. But that man threw that offering. But think about what I'm saying here. That altar there was where that man was reconciled back to God. His sins were pardoned. A way was made back for him to be able to pray and get his prayers answered. There, that sin was pardoned, so there was nothing blocking him. But it was taking place here in an altar. And isn't it interesting that there were also three other offerings that if you wanted to just worship the Lord, and the, the word for offering was korban, which means... To draw near is where we get the word um, offering. It meant to draw near in the Hebrew. And so to draw near to God, there were three prescribed ways. So somebody could bring a burnt offering. And this, they would come with their animal. Let's say it was a ram or whatever, and they would bring it. They always put their hands on the head, and, and it represented them. But they would bring it before the priest, and the priest would kill this animal. Now, as a burnt offering, it was different. It would be skinned and the priest would keep the skin and the priesthood got pretty wealthy from all these skins. But they would take that animal, cut it into pieces and if it was a burnt offering, it was put on the offering and it would remain till it was completely, entirely consumed. None of it was eaten. It was completely consumed. But I want you to notice this happened at an altar. And so the... The, what that represents for us today on the other side of the cross, Jesus came to fulfill all of this, is Romans 12. The Bible says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And so here we are, we're supposed to be laying down our lives on the altar and letting the fire of God burn out every impurity. So this is the burnt offering. Then there was what's called the mincha. This was the... Uh, grain offering 
they, a man would bring his grain before the priest. The priest would take it. It was waved a certain way. Oil was put on it. It was salted. It was put on the altar there. Frankincense was put on it. It went up before God. And what that represents, the grain, if you picture the fields as people were harvesting, it's us, our works that we do for the Lord is done to bring him glory. And it's out of our love for him. This, this offering has to do with us willingly laying down our lives and serving the Lord, doing what he's called us to do because we love him. And so again, this was connected somehow to an altar. And then there was the last one, the Shalamim, which is the peace offering. And so this one was different. This is the one I wanted to get to because I want you to remember that down through the ages, people understood having an altar I believe by revelation, most of them understood they were doing something on the earth, but there was really an altar in heaven that they were connecting to. And so at this peace offering, what this was, a man would come, but in this case, he would not come alone. He would bring his family. To me, this is a beautiful picture of the love of God. And so this man would bring his family. They would bring multiple animals. They would bring um, bread to be cooked there on the altar and all of that. And as they came, they brought everything with them. It was almost like a picnic of some kind. And they would bring it unto the, the sons of Aaron. And he would inspect it, of course, but he would kill the animals and place them on the altar. He would take their grain and all that. It would be mixed correctly. It was being on the altar. And here's the interesting thing about this. Everybody there, the priest and that whole family, would stand in the presence of the Lord right there by the tent, and they would all eat of the altar. And it's interesting because if you studied the Old Testament, you see that God took that altar very seriously. And he said things that are associated with that altar, and then it was eaten. He said whatever touches that altar becomes holy. And whoever is eating of that altar becomes holy and better be holy. And so the people, this you understand where I'm going with this? This was a way that a man would bring his whole family before the Almighty at this altar. Even though this bronze altar in the tabernacle was a replica, it was there at a certain time in history, I believe it's connected to the altar in heaven which had been visited by all those other people I mentioned down through the ages. Does this make sense? All of those different altars unto God was connected to the one altar in heaven. This was connected. And what this man was doing when he brought his family was he was saying in essence, we turn our back on every other false god. We are coming before the altar of the one true God my family, we are dedicating ourselves unto him. We are coming into a blood covenant with the Almighty. And as we eat of this meal, the covenant meal, so to speak, as we eat of this altar, we are in a blood covenant with him and we celebrate and we worship before him. And it was interesting because when Moses had stood at Sinai and he had sprinkled the people with the blood, and he had read some of the law and he brought them into that blood covenant. They, they did that before an altar. It was interesting because God told Moses and the 70 elders, and I believe if I remember right, it was Joshua. And he told them to come up before him. And the Bible says this, read it for yourself, that those that were present, those 70 elders, Moses, Aaron and his sons, Joshua, it says that they saw God. And it says that they ate and drank in his presence. You know what they were doing? They had just entered a covenant and now they were eating the covenant meal. And because they were the elders and the leaders, they represented the whole nation. Is this making sense? There was an altar. There was blood shed. It was cutting the covenant. There was an exchange. Moses sprinkles the blood. He says, you're now in covenant. It's done. And so then it, God says, bring up the elders, and they go up and they eat the covenant meal to seal it. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus came and he was going to fulfill everything, that the cross now, the cross, 
was going to be the ultimate altar where covenant was cut and Jesus he knew that all this was going to happen so at the Passover meal he was having with his disciples he gave communion and as he fulfills everything at that altar of the cross now because of what he did we're able to come before a covenant God enter into a blood covenant through the blood of Jesus there's an exchange where the Holy Spirit of God enters in us we're born of God he gives us his word the terms of the covenant we're like married to the Lord we come in covenant relationship but this is like an altar of sorts and so let me just show you something from a New Testament perspective as you celebrate Passover this year I want you to think about something through the Passover meal you guys have had with us candles are lit I want you to picture for a moment the tabernacle of Moses what's inside the tabernacle the menorah the seven branch menorah that's lit so your home you're making your home like a tabernacle where now there's something like the menorah that's being lit at the Passover meal hands are washed before God before eating isn't it interesting that God told the priest you have to wash your hands and feet before you enter into my presence most of the time people will cook lamb and it's eaten as a meal isn't it interesting that before God people would bring their offerings that were cooked on the altar and then eaten by the people that they're talking about the peace offerings anyway and of course in the course of it from a New Testament perspective we understood the the matzah and the fruit of the vine we understand that that represents Holy Communion so in the tabernacle of Moses the table of showbread is the communion table is this making sense so what you're doing what I'm trying to get people to maybe wrap our minds around for a moment is is there's something very ancient and very powerful in this there's something very ancient and very powerful in this because down through the ages from Adam All the way down through the ages, you see people have built an altar before God. When you have Passover in your home, it's like your family. Picture with me for a moment this. You remember me mentioning a man will bring his family? It was the peace offering, and they would eat of the altar before God. This is a way of kind of renewing the covenant. You're coming before God, and your family together and this table becomes like an altar and this is a place where candles are lit like the menorah hands are washed you're you're eating of something that represents Jesus being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world it represents the blood as you take communion it represents the blood of the covenant that was cut at Calvary so in the same way the pattern of what was there in the Old Testament now fulfilled in the new is that through Passover it's a way hear what I'm saying because I believe there's something to it it's a way of your home becoming like the tabernacle and your table becoming like an altar connecting to the altar in heaven and just like the man would bring his family before God you're bringing your household before the Lord saying we've turned our back on every other God unto the living God into his Christ alone we as a family reverence the blood of our Passover lamb Jesus Christ that covenant has been cut we have entered into that covenant by the blood of the lamb and it's like an altar that you and your family are eating of before the Lord and understand this I believe that there's something to this to in my opinion that down through the ages the righteous men that they had during that dispensation of time they had a covenant with God of some kind some kind of a relationship that was through the altar of that day and that somehow as we're sitting at this table together reverencing the blood of Jesus and the covenant everyone that's gone on before us you have to understand it's almost like were there with Abraham as he was at that altar worshiping God 
It's almost like we're with Moses as they're sitting at the Passover table about to leave Egypt. And we're looking that the coming of the Lord is near. It's almost like whenever other righteous men of times past, like Samuel and David, it's like we're kind of connecting to that same altar together with them. Which, by the way, I might add that they're not dead. They're in heaven with the Lord. And they understand that tabernacle. I guarantee you that they're there worshiping the Lord all the time. So in a very real sense, is this making sense to you that we're connecting with God's righteous people down through the ages? I think of it this way too. The early church, those that's gone on before us, they're with the Lord now. But you know what? We're connecting with the same communion table that they were at. So it's like all the righteous men and women of God down through the ages, it's like your home becomes a tabernacle. Your table becomes an altar where you are renewing the dedication to the one true God. You're renewing in your life the covenant that you've entered into through the blood of Jesus. And I believe in a very real sense that it's like you're eating of the same altar, so to speak, that is in heaven that they were eating of down through the ages. And I believe every week, by the way, when we take communion together, that that's exactly what we're doing. We're eating of a covenant meal and we're partaking of something down here on the earth that has a greater reality in heaven at the altar there. I hope I'm doing a good job explaining this. This is kind of a deeper concept. And I know that some can misunderstand it and misuse it. I'm not saying that you're under something from back then. I know that we're in the new covenant. What I'm saying is, is that Christ fulfilled everything. And this is a way that it's like the same altar in heaven that all those that's gone before us prayed at. We're praying at the same altar to the same God. So... It's like we're bringing our family fresh and new unto the altar of the Almighty. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I believe this from uh, maybe a different perspective than what some have because I know from my wife's testimony, it's kind of an extreme situation. Her family, as you guys know, they were at an altar of the devil's kingdom in the occult and and into some really dark stuff with witchcraft and false god worship, etc. And so I understood having to deal with these things with her that we had to <clears throat> renounce the idols. Hear what I'm saying? The altars of those other gods, the covenants that were made with other gods, the dedications that were made to other gods. We had to renounce all of that and kind of undo all of that. And instead of leaving some kind of a void in many ways, as we celebrated Passover, you know, we really understood what we were doing. We understood that, that we were turning our backs in every possible way unto any other God that's out there unto the living God. We understood not just us individually, but we were representing the bloodline. You know, even as we take communion together, I always, I always try to tell people, don't just do this on your behalf, but as an intercessor, do this on behalf of your family, kids and grandkids. God is a very generational God. He said, I will bless a thousand generations of them that love me. He's interested in your bloodline. And so you say, Lord, I'm bringing my family bloodline. And listen, if... If those things unto the devil's kingdom have power, and we know that they do, how much more power is what I'm talking about have? What type of weight in the spirit realm does um, coming unto God's altar and bringing your family under the blood of Jesus, how much weight does that carry in the spirit realm that demonic forces have to recognize? So again, you bring your family, your home becomes a tabernacle. Your table becomes the altar. The candles are lit like the menorah. As you take communion in the course of the meal, it's like the table of showbread. It's like the heavenly tabernacle, you're replicating it in your home. How awesome is that? 
Your table has become like the altar. How awesome is that thought that we are, it's like heaven coming down like that in our home. It's, it's an awesome thought. All right, so let me close with these two things. We join with Abraham in the covenant, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's like joining together with Noah and the offerings down through the ages, Moses at Passover, Joshua at Passover, Samuel and his offerings, Jesus at the Last Supper, and of course at the cross, unifying with the greater people of God down through the ages and all over the world, we're unifying with God's true remnant people at this same altar while we're at this altar you have to understand there's people there in the continent of africa in the middle east they're in europe they're in other parts of this nation that are worshiping the one true god at the same altar so i'm going to close with this the great protection that's under the blood how are we going to survive and thrive in these latter days we're going to have to make much about the blood we're going to have to understand the altar of god and understand how serious God takes his altar. See, God's perception of covenant is the true understanding of covenant is for a lifetime. You can't come and enter into a covenant and then weasel out of it and expect that things are going to go well for you. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. He'll chase you down and discipline you. You can't do these things haphazardly like people do it here in America Well, they'll give you their word and then turn around and lie about it. They'll shake hands on something and swindle. They'll sign something and then not fulfill it. They'll stand before God and make vows and then not fulfill their vows. That's not how God is. God understands covenant and God is a covenant-keeping God. And when we enter into that blood covenant and come before His altar, it's for a lifetime. So this, this year... As we deeply consecrate our lives, I'm really encouraging people to make your home an altar this year. Make your family that table together like an altar before the Almighty, where you renew the covenant. I encourage you here at Passover time, you know the, the concept is to go through your home and purge the yeast out. Well, you know what? That's a great object lesson, especially for children to walk through and teach them, hey, this is what the Bible says about Passover. Get all the yeast out. But help them understand that yeast speaks of sin and that it has to do with purging the sin out of your home and keeping it out. And what about Passover? The blood was applied to the doorpost of homes. This is a great time to bring your whole property under the blood of Jesus in a fresh way. But here's some things about the blood. The Passover, the Bible says that God has given us a table in the presence of our enemies. I believe that this table, understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here. This table has to do with the altar. It has to do with a covenant. It has to do with coming under the blood. This table, does everybody understand what I'm saying? This table is in the presence of your enemies because your enemies can't really do anything about it. David's mighty men, as we know from the scriptures, they were weary in battle and they went to the priest at a city called Nob and and they, while they were there, the priest said, look, all we have is the consecrated bread that was in the tabernacle. And, and they said, are your men pure? Are they holy? They've been keeping themselves pure. And David said they are. And so the priest let him eat of the bread that was really just for the priesthood. But isn't it interesting? It gave them strength for the battle. I believe that if we'll get a fresh revelation of the communion table, my wife and I take communion every day. But I believe that if we would really understand what we're doing, that we're actually going up before the altar of the Lord in heaven, it's a covenant meal. And there's covenant promises that the, the covenant meal here, the uh, communion table, will give us great strength for the battle. So in these last days, I believe just as Israel was going through the wilderness and they had manna that sustained them, I believe the communion table is going to be like a supernatural thing in our lives because of what it represents. It's going to be a supernatural thing that gives us great strength for the battle in the last days. As we come under the blood daily, 
as we consecrate our lives we make sure we forgive people we confess and repent of any sin what represents Jesus's body and blood is going into our body and blood we're being deeply consecrated we're bringing our family under the blood of the lamb it's a very powerful act of intercession as well when you take communion you have to understand the power of the blood when you take communion on behalf of your family you're bringing your whole family under the blood of Jesus if you use your faith and do it by faith you're bringing your family under the blood that's an act of intercession now, I'll, I'll give you examples so I've had to deal with things because of our ministry with deliverance and helping people in their home get their homes delivered from things people's personal lives and it's very common it's widespread a lot of people don't talk about it. nowadays a lot of churches don't deal with it but anyway through all this course of time I've seen a lot of powerful things and let me tell you if your property has been defiled maybe you move into a new home people live there before you there's been things happen in that home uh, in the way of maybe violent criminal activity uh, ungodly partying their sexual immorality maybe there was a murder that happened something that defiled it if you'll come in there and you'll confess that before God and you'll take communion and you'll take that what represents the blood and apply the blood to that land I'm telling you it will break the power of hell off that property and it will send them running you know I've, I've done this and I've heard of others doing it we're even um, taking something opening up the earth and putting the body and the blood there we apply the communion to this land this is holy ground any claim the enemy had is now canceled and anything of hell's kingdom is destroyed and must leave in Jesus name you know you can take the fruit of the vine as you take communion and even put it on the doorpost to your home but it's bringing your life bringing your family under the blood if we will make much of the blood I believe that not only will we survive in these last days but we will thrive but we've got to make much of the blood we need to understand what we're doing with the blood we have to understand that there is a literal altar in heaven you remember Jesus ascended he said don't touch me I haven't ascended yet he had to go up and put his blood there did you know on the day of atonement did you know that the priest also went into the holy place and put blood on the horns of the altar of incense what was Satan in heaven before he fell he was the worship leader Jesus probably put his blood even on that altar of incense in heaven to purge from even the Luciferian rebellion but Jesus had to bring his blood in, and it's on that altar so when you take communion it's like joining with Abraham and Moses and Jesus at the foot of the cross all down through the ages there's been a blood covenant and an altar in heaven that when you take communion you're standing before that altar and you're saying Lord in a fresh way today I am yours I'm dedicated unto you I'm consecrate my life unto you I am in a covenant with you and I bring my family under the blood of that covenant it has power it, it, it has intercessory power to break hell's influence off your family and keep the enemy off you amen all right let's go ahead and shut down recordings I hope this has been a blessing to you guys tonight it was I've been trying to understand this let me know wave at me whenever things I was trying to understand a prophetic thing that God was doing because God had given me this message and I was I was typing it up and all that but it was very interesting because 